1: Welcome to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. I'm Paul Sweeney, alongside my co-host Matt Miller. Every business day, we bring you interviews from CEOs, market pros, and Bloomberg experts, along with essential market-moving news. Find the Bloomberg Markets Podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts, and at bloomberg.com/podcast. Katie Greifeld, you look a little bit shell shocked. You're a cross-asset reporter, and I know what asset you're focused on right now. Which one? crypto. Oh
2: my god, I am living. Am I shell-shocked to you? You uh, She's like glowing. Maybe it's a, it,
1: it's a it's a it's a look.
2: I will say that my heart is pounding. Uh this is pretty enormous news. Profound implications for the crypto industry and what it looks like going forward. It and should
1: I, be, right? There yes. should be profound implications for the asset class. But I don't really see Bitcoin moving that much.
2: It is amazing that we're looking at Bitcoin almost around $17,000 a coin. I don't have a good answer for you, uh, but I see your point. Did
1: I tell you my Lehman Brothers analogy yesterday? I want to hear it again. So first of all... I don't know, you're probably the only person in the building I haven't told this, but back in September 15th, 2008, I got off a plane from Germany and I turned on my Blackberry. I actually did hear this. Everybody on the plane turned on his or her Blackberries, and we all were shocked that Lehman Brothers had gone under. Now, the same thing happened to me on Sun. or sorry, on Tuesday. Tuesday night, I got in from, I I was in Indonesia for a few weeks. I turned on my iPhone this time because, you know, my BlackBerry doesn't work anymore, and I find out that FTX is going down, shocked again. But the thing is, just like back when Lehman Brothers failed, there wasn't a tremendous drop in the value of the dollar. Now, with FTX is failing. There's not a tremendous drop in the value of Bitcoin. You see, we mm-hmm. have to separate.
3: Maybe Matt needs to stop getting off planes.
1: Yeah, Exactly. <laughs> I mean, you even leave.
2: look at the likes of Solana, which is really the token to watch here when you think about the Solana blockchain and what uh, a big backer, SBF, and his Why isn't FTT was.
1: the token to watch?
2: Because FTT, I mean, if you That's think about... That's what brought
4: them down, right? If you think right? about
2: the magnitude of uh, the number of people invested, Solana, definitely, there's much more wealth at stake in Solana than there is at FTT at this point. But anyway, my point being that if you look at uh, Solana, it's... I mean, it's down significantly over 9%, but it was down much more uh, about half an hour ago. So we'll see. I mean, a lot of bad news is already priced in. I would agree with you that $17,000 for Bitcoin in the wake of this news does seem a little bit unintuitive just on a numbers basis. But again, you think about the tremendous drawdown already in the space. There's a lot of bad news in there.
3: Let's bring in our other roundtable guest here, Cameron Kreis, also known as Macro Man. Uh, he writes our Macro Man column for, for Bloomberg as well as the macro strategist. Cam, put this into the perspective of someone who perhaps isn't a crypto fanatic. How much of What's your this... TradFi take? Oh, my God. Well, actually, though, what is your uh, traditional finance take? What is the contagion effect here into the broader markets?
5: I think it's probably relatively limited. Uh, I mean, Listen, crypto gets a lot of attention, and uh, it's full of a lot of loudmouth, but, uh, listen, at its peak, the, the market cap of crypto was what, about $3 trillion, um, and now it's down to whatever, $800 million or $900 million or whatever it is, uh, billion, excuse me. Um, uh, you can explain, I mean, that basically matches the combined market cap loss of, like, Amazon, Meta, and Tesla over the, over the same period. Right. right. So, just three companies have lost as much money for their investors as all of this crypto stuff. Now, you could argue that crypto is more broadly uh, owned by retail who have levered positions, and yeah, that's right. So, obviously, for an individual, it might matter more, but on a on a on an aggregate basis, um, the the only real threat, I think, is some sort of transmission. From crypto to, to to the more traditional um, uh, uh, financial system, and that would be a case if a big bank, for example, had uh, massive exposure to FTX uh, and was suddenly looking at a five or a ten billion dollar hole uh, i don 't think that 's the case so um, you know i 'm sorry to be skeptical, and i don 't mean to dance on on the financial graves of people who've been suffering through this. But, you know, when you play stupid games, you win stupid prizes. And if you buy, you know, if you buy stuff on a joke because someone tweets out a rocket ship emoji, if that's your investment case, this is kind of the
1: natural. Well, option. I mean, you have we, we should all be skeptical, right? That's our job as journalists. But we also have to differentiate. There's a difference well, sure, between well, Bitcoin and Dogecoin, right?
5: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, sure. But I mean, what's the, you know, I'm, I'm old enough to remember five years ago, people were talking about Bitcoin. You know, the, the use case for Bitcoin was based on blockchain applications. Right. I mean, I, I think we can all agree that, that that horse has bolted. No one can seriously claim that the Bitcoin blockchain is the reason that people buy Bitcoin. Right? Well, I— uh, by the way, you and you and, against you, that. you
1: and I are the only ones who are old enough to remember five years ago.
5: <laughs> here, well, no, but if you're going to use a blockchain, Bitcoin is incredibly uh, inefficient.
1: Right? Well, I, you're right. So people w- would rather use the blockchain of Ethereum, for yeah. example, yeah, it, to build it, exactly, um, on. Exactly. Unless,
2: uh, I mean, I've asked people this question all the time. Why doesn't Bitcoin, for example, just go to proof of stake if you're so worried about the energy consumption? It's because the blockchain of Bitcoin, the OG, is supposed to be more secure. And I mean, oh, I would push... Of,
1: I, no, no, uh, no. no pro- proof, reason, proof of work is far is, more secure than proof re- of stake. Yes. The, the reason yeah.
2: is they want to restrict supply
5: because the people who already own it have a vested interest in seeing the price goes up, go up. I mean, that, I mean most of this stuff, the primary use case is to enrich people who are early adopters end of. Uh, and that is not a particularly productive use of financial capital uh, or, or intellectual capital, frankly. Um, and you can see the kind of caliber that the people uh, that it's attracted. Uh, I mean, I don't know if you've seen this. I mean, this, is this a, this, a this, comment on Michael
1: Novogratz specifically? Or, this, or, well, who are you talking no, about?
5: I'm talking about, you know, this Bankman fried guy have you seen this video clip of this, this woman who is the CEO of Alameda, uh, basically Caroline. talking to a couple, couple of people, basically saying, stop losses on an effective risk management tool. Oh, really? I mean, this is from someone who had an experience of, what, a year and a half as a junior at another hedge fund before she assumed this role of significant responsibility, and she doesn't understand the basic principles of risk management. I mean, it's a, it's a joke. Uh, and it, 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 in my opinion, it's uh, the natural outcome of too much free money, too much liquidity that's been pumped into the global financial system for too long, and it's flown to, it's flowed to these, frankly, ludicrous uh, uh, endeavors. I mean, you've no doubt seen this, this whole thing about these people at Sequoia being blown away by, by, by old Sam while he's playing a video game. I mean, give me a break.
2: I think it is an in fun thought exercise to think: Would this all be happening if the Fed weren't hiking our faces off right now? I mean, if well, the line was going up, I think that well, well, the business of FTX perhaps we wouldn't be having. But this Cameron, you're
1: saying this happened because the Fed was cutting, had cut to so low, and because we were spending trillions and trillions of dollars in fiscal, just sort of passing it out with a helicopter. Yeah,
5: and 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 you know uh, these 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 genius quote unquote geniuses who've disrupted things. I mean, I thought this was supposed to be decentralized finance, and yet we, funny enough, end up with a huge concentration of risk and wealth in the hands of a few people and a few institutions uh, who are committing the same mistakes that quote unquote tradfi have been making over three or four hundred years, and have not entirely learned their lesson, but learned their lesson to some extent, or at least had regulation to prevent the most egregious uh, of these uh, of these you know, these you misdeeds. I mean, taking client money and and spending it on something else, it's just you can't do it. Uh, and I, I think the, the— Well, that's under
2: investigation right now. Yeah, just to be allegation. clear, we're
1: not exactly but that's sure. The right? yeah, that, that's, that's exactly. the allegation. Yeah,
2: that's the allegation. But, I mean,
5: the, the, to my mind, the appropriate analog is not Lehman, because— None of this crypto stuff is systemically important enough, uh, as I said, to be to be uh, to be Lehman. But it, it's more like MF Global, you know, where John Corzine took took client money and bought two-year BTPs, uh, uh, which went horribly wrong, and MF Global blew up.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't think the Lehman analogy is not that not that this is a Lehman Brothers moment for the market writ large, but just for the crypto industry. Um, the concern is this has shaken confidence so much in um, what you clearly view as a con game um and, and now they're going to have to do something about it to try and get
5: well the uh, you know, the, the, ir- it. the irony is that the whole the whole philosophy behind crypto is trustless finance right and yet how much trust was implicitly placed in these centralized exchanges which are actually half exchange and half broker i mean i i you know if, if the whole point is that you get a, get out of traditional finance Uh, and yet you you introduce counterparty risk to these centralized exchanges, it's kind of counter to the underlying ethos, isn't it?
2: It's a good question. I mean, to your point that it's supposed to be trustless, when you introduce centralization, that trustlessness goes away. It's not the same as trusting a piece of code, trusting a smart contract to execute. You actually have to trust other humans. Again,
1: I think you also have to differentiate uh, between the asset itself and the businesses that now have been built around it. Um,
5: Yeah, but I I would say this, to to deny the likelihood that you're going to get centralization or a concentration of of ownership and wealth in some large institutions is to deny human nature. And it it reminds me a bit of the MMT people that say, well, uh, if if we get inflation because of MMT, all the government has to do is tighten fiscal policy radically and that'll get rid of the inflation. Okay, fine. But in what real world is, uh, is a government going to tighten fiscal policy when, when inflation becomes problematic and, and starts to hit growth? I mean, maybe the UK is going to do it, uh, uh, ironically enough, after the loose trust budget blew up. But I mean, do you really think that the US government uh, is going to engage in an explicit and massive fiscal tightening for the sole purpose of controlling inflation? Of course no, it's not. Absolutely it's not, not. Na- it's politically—I mean, it just—that's not the way human nature works.
1: Cameron, and- are you surprised though that—are um, you surprised in that case that uh, even after this, um, we've—you know—the tide has gone out and we've seen uh, that SBF is not wearing a bathing suit. <laughs> Nonetheless uh one bitcoin Thanks is image, by the way. It, one, one bitcoin is still worth seventeen thousand dollars um it's a lot of money i mean it's still worth a lot more than it even costs to mine a bitcoin
5: uh yeah although i, I gather uh that uh calculus has narrowed quite quite substantially uh, sure
1: but it's well uh, just it's a lot of money for a line of code the only thing, really, that um, gives it value is the belief of the group that it has value, even beyond something like gold and certainly far beyond something like the dollar.
5: Yeah, I mean, listen, if if, if, even after all this, uh, there is a significant cohort of people that collectively agree that the emperor's new coat is actually still pretty stunning, then it is pretty stunning, uh, uh, unless... A, a, you know, a critical mass of people say, actually, he's not wearing it co- at all. He's, he's got, he, they, you know, <laughs> he's, he's, he's wearing, you know, he doesn't have the bathing suit on, um, to, to, to mix metaphors. Um, but, listen, the entire crypto, and again, the, I, I think Occam's razor, you know, why do you see crypto doing what it's doing today? Why do you see people saying what they're saying? It's because they benefit. Um, and there's a vested interest in, in keeping the ball in the air uh as as high as possible i mean like m- a micro strategy for example obviously they pivoted their entire company to being essentially a bitcoin etf and uh i mean i've looked at some of this sailor guy's tweets it's i mean it's the guy the guy spends all day tweeting absolute inanities about uh, about about crypto that sound deep but are actually complete and patent nonsense um But, hey, he's trying to drum up an ongoing narrative that this is where you want to be. Um, Well, and a lot of Wall
1: Street has joined in on that, right? I mean, otherwise...
5: Absolutely, absolutely. Um, But obviously, again, anyone with a passing history of traditional finance can tell you that just because Wall Street embraces a certain investment trend doesn't mean that it's useful uh, or profitable in the the long run. Funny enough, uh, uh, on my YouTube algorithm, I seem to be getting a lot of clips of uh, The Big Short these days, which uh, uh, I don't know is probably says something about karma. uh, I guess in the context of what's going on in the in the crypto space. So
1: as an investor, then, I mean, with this kind of skepticism, do you just stay completely out, or do you see a way that an investor could get involved in this still for some kind of healthy return?
5: Well, I mean, obviously, uh, I'm not the right person to ask which of these uh, little d- digital tulips is the right one to uh, is the right one to, to, to purchase or how you should trade that. Um, what I will say is is that there's one sort of universal truth, which is the people that get rich in a gold mine or in a gold rush typically are the people that sell the picks and shovels.
1: Right. I I want to go back to the um, to the blockchain because that seems to be the begi- what was the beginning of what drew Wall Street into the crypto area. And it still makes sense that you could build a lot of useful products on the blockchain. You could keep deeds of ownership on it or, um, you know, uh, driver's licenses, etc. I've never said why that means you would want to bid up the token, though. What do you think about building businesses or products, applications on the blockchain?
5: Well, I mean, listen, I, I, I think, again, with, with it being sort of a moderately informed layperson, uh, I would suggest to you that the vast majority of use cases for the blockchain itself uh, are simply replicating databases. Uh, and uh, you, can, you can achieve just as much with uh, a standard SQL database or whatever, as you can with the blockchain. I mean, is it you really need to have a driver's license on the blockchain rather than a standard database? I mean, what's the marginal what's the marginal utility of that?
1: No, um, I was just I, suggesting I, that because I, I, Eric yeah, Adams... No, 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 but,
5: you know, yeah. or onions or, 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 I'm not, or what, you know, whatever. Uh, I think there's uh, a pretty limited uh, uh, marginal utility for putting them in the blockchain rather than current um, database storage. Uh, yeah, there are exceptions, and I will, I will, I will concede that. But uh, again, if you're going to use it for the express purpose of the blockchain, surely the most efficiently run blockchain is the one you want to use, not the one that just has the little the little widget that goes up the highest in price. But uh, obviously, Wall Street makes money from. The widget going up in price rather than the underlying blockchain technology so naturally that's where that's where attention vote fo- is focused
2: I can i jump in here because yes. this is something i think about all the time to camp's point that it's just a database sometimes i think about what the ambition of crypto is, is this is something i thought about all the time while reading matt levine's crypto piece which came out two weeks ago it just feels like if you're trying to recreate a parallel financial system that is more efficient, that is more secure, uh, that is, to get back to what we were talking about, trustless, is is can that be enough? Why shouldn't that be enough if we make the financial system a little bit more efficient? I think it's when you get into the extreme speculation that we've seen in the crypto space when you think about you know, creating a new world reserve currency that it just feels like we've sort of lost what could be actually a really cool use case.
5: Yeah, but but again, I, I would say that uh, is sort of an in, inevitable product of human nature, right? If you include a, a, a financial instrument that, that floats in price, people are going to speculate on it. And, uh, I mean, a lot of my old... Uh, friends from foreign exchange uh, over the last decade have pivoted to crypto because frankly do you want to I mean these this year's a slightly different but you know for years you know do you want to trade the euro which trades on a six ball and, and maybe moves 30 pips a day or do you want to trade Bitcoin that moves 10 percent a day I mean where do you think you're gonna make more money where are the spreads wider um, where are the fees bigger where's there more juice the thing that moves a lot and is much less efficient. So naturally, that's what, that's where Wall Street has focused its attention on, uh, on, on part of the whole crypto sphere, the bit with the biggest, fattest, juiciest margins.
2: And, I mean, it is a fascinating market structure experiment. Who knows where it goes from here, but I was actually at – Crypto Twitter drinks last night uh, in a wine cellar. Uh, there were a lot of sad people in that room, but a lot of them yeah, came because from because of those
1: two products. I mean, <laughs> I know. Uh, but it came... We've already heard about the skepticism that Cameron has for crypto, and yeah. I could unload on Twitter. I can't believe you're still participating in that. By in the way, do Twitter? you feel like it's in a way it's immoral?
2: Do I feel that Twitter, the social media platform, is immoral? Yes. No.
1: I mean, most social media platforms are responsible only for negativity I mean, in this, this world, right? It feels
2: like a deep-seated <laughs> issue, but I would say that a lot of the people in that room last night came from high-frequency traders. They came from Wall Street, Wall Street traditional finance roles simply because, I mean, like Cam said, there's a lot of juicy spreads there. There's a lot of money to be made, but also it's interesting to a lot of these people to be part of building an asset class in real time. I mean, how often I wasn't around when junk bond trading became a thing. Uh, Where it goes from here uh, is an open question, obviously. I I wanna,
1: Cameron, I wanted you to apply your uh, healthy skepticism to social media. What do you think about social media? Just for a second before I get to CPI and the markets.
5: Oh, I mean, I think it's a cancer on society. Yes. by, by and large, I um, I think it uh, it exposes and amplifies the worst of human nature, um, unfortunately, uh, and it, it, it's it's it, it it enforces what I term sort of the, the Gresham's law of discourse. Uh, Gresham's law being a sort of a 17th century uh, monetary theory uh, back when money was actual coins that bad money drives out good. In the sense, if you've got a clip coin or or a real full silver coin, you're going to spend the clip coin and keep the silver coin, right? Uh, Social media uh, essentially drives out reasonable opinion, and it it encourages the use of outrage, uh, uh, conflict entrepreneurship, um, uh, propaganda, this this sort of stuff, which I think is not uh, beneficial to uh, a well-functioning uh society whatever.
1: i can't disagree
5: out, out, outrage gets rewarded
1: I, I can't disagree uh it outrages me i want to ask you about um cpi and the incredible run in markets yesterday valerie Titel, a producer of ours out of london pointed out that we haven't seen a move that big since the u.s government dumped two trillion dollars of stimulus into the system is that does that make sense to you that CPI coming in at 7.7% instead of 7.9% is enough to drive a 5.5% gain on the S&P in one day?
5: Um, well, no, obviously. Um, we had a similar downside miss on CPI in, uh, reported in August, and obviously we didn't see anything like that kind of, uh, that kind of move.
1: Let's bring in Jay Hatfield right now, CEO and founder over at Infrastructure Capital Advisors. Um, Jay, great to have you in the studio after an unbelievable rally in stocks yesterday, Um, all driven by a CPI print that was just barely under expectations. What do you think about it?
7: Thanks for having me on, Matt. We actually have been pretty optimistic um, about um, inflation, and particularly next quarter when we start to lap the energy price spike. So we were not too surprised, but we we're worried that it would take a while, because CPI does have a pretty big lag. So <clears throat> that's why um, uh, you know we think that the market really took off like a rocket, because it's not just this CPI report, but particularly it was we'd lap uh, through that energy crisis. Um, where CPI is likely to decel, you know, really decelerate.
3: Well, let's bring in Joe Meyer, the Founder and CEO at Meyer Capital. I'd like to get your take as well on the, by the way, a 5.3% rally yesterday, and we are up about half a percent today. What's your take?
8: Hey, Critty and Matt, thanks again for having me on. Jane, nice to meet you as well. You know, I, I think that as, as you take a look at the, the rally, mostly in technology stocks, people understand the importance of automation and what technology is going to play for us in the future. And that's, that's really what we're excited about and investing in heavily. And I think that the more you leverage technology, uh, the more you're going to see people getting in from the sidelines and, and jumping on to the, the technology bandwagon, which I think is, is critical to, to get leverage, which is what's needed to uh, take advantage of these challenging
1: markets. By the way, before we go any further on the market discussion, I want to say thank you for your service. Joe served in the U.S. Army. He was a major. And I was thinking about this this morning. The bond market honors our veterans with a holiday. The New York Stock Exchange and the equities market stays open. It seems almost like they don't care. Do you take offense to that in any way, Joe?
8: Well, Matt, thank you very much. You know, one of the things I think that's important on Veterans Day is it is great that we honor the veterans. Uh, it's up to folks how they want to honor it. But more importantly, I think it's the families of veterans who also deserve a lot of respect and honor because they put up with a lot of unknowns. Uh, and I and I think we need to remember that on these days, too. But more importantly, you know, whether the bond market honors or the market doesn't, to me, it's 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 a chance to at least say thanks to all the veterans who have served and all their families. So that's kind of my thought
1: process on that. Yeah, I'm being—I was being a little tongue in cheek about the equity market, but <laughs> I do think uh, it's important to honor uh, our veterans. And I—I you know, I come from a family, uh, military family, and you know sometimes um, they do things for the country that not everybody else is willing to do. So thank you very much for that. Let's get back to uh, our talk on the markets. And Jay, uh, some of the ETFs you run, InfraCap Equity Income Fund, MLB ETF, REIT Preferred ETF, the latter to me is pretty interesting right now, especially in this high rate environment and maybe they're gonna continue to go even higher. How how do you think about real estate investment and REITs specifically in this this environment?
7: Well, we think, Matt, that they're um, significantly undervalued. Uh, We don't, but you're correct, that if rates just keep going higher and higher and higher, the valuations will go down. But what a lot of investors don't appreciate is that's true of all asset classes, not just tech stocks. All stocks have very long duration. So that's why you really saw this huge downdraft in the market when rates went from 280 to to 4%. But REITs have been, we think, unfairly punished. And when the capital markets stabilize, we think you'll see some go private because they're well below um, what would be considered to be normal fair value.
3: Well, talking about normal fair value, it it kind of feels like the equity market was primed for a rebound anyway. And I think Mm -hmm. there's a lot of questions about whether or not the price action we saw yesterday was indeed a short squeeze, or really based on the fundamentals I feel like there is a camp to say that perhaps it was based on the fundamentals because this kind of moment of capitulation that the market, I think, has been waiting for 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 nine months, we hit that, and then you kind of saw this pivot point becoming a everyone buy everything right now. Mm -hmm. What would be the bear case for the markets if the idea is that recession has been priced in for the last nine months or so, for 2023, and on top of that, Inflation has peaked and it's coming down even faster than expected because base effects are finally going to work in its favor.
7: Well, I think there's three overhangs on the market, uh, the Fed, the Fed and the Fed. They are going to be the last to know that inflation is going down. As I started to refer to um, initially, um, they really have misdiagnosed the 70s. It was really driven by two gigantic oil price shocks with some loose monetary policy. So they're focused on the expectations theory. And last time I was on, we, we were talking about, you know there's no longer a Fed put, it's really the Fed short. So that's really the key, even yesterday, the market came off when um, there was some Fed commentary. So that's really the hang is that the Fed is the last to know. They keep tightening and we have a mild recession.
3: But to your point on that, that the Fed is the last to know, aren't they already making steps to at least have a step down and to slow down a little bit? This was something that was expected in September where we were supposed to see the last 75 basis point hike. Now they're still talking about some economists predicting 75 in December, but ultimately that 75 becoming the last really jumbo rate hike that we see from the Federal Reserve. So aren't they already kind of accommodating this lag that you're talking about?
7: Well, there seems to be some... Uh, disagreement within the Fed, because you did see that, you know, on Fed Day where the statement was viewed as being super bullish, but the press conference is bearish. So I think there's a debate between sort of the expectations camp that we have to be the new Paul Volcker crush this entrenched inflation. We don't really believe in entrenched inflation. It comes from really two things, um, excessive monetary growth and usually energy price shocks, not expectations. But there is that expectations camp. And so they're gonna keep pounding on this notion of being hawkish, which could and raise rates more than they need to. So we could have a mild recession. We're not concerned about that. But in terms of just going all in in the market right now, you just have to be aware the Fed at any moment can come out and make a statement and, and take the market down. So we, th- we think next quarter will be more stable than this quarter.
1: Joe, what do you think about rates? I mean, it plays in, um, especially to the tech area in which um, you're more interested, um, how, how do you feel about where we're going, and how, how much does it matter to the stocks that you like?
8: Yeah, I think that the reason why you're seeing such a bounce in technology right now, with you know stocks up three, four, five, seven percent in some cases, is because it is stocks created inflation hedge for you. Basically, what I'm saying is that when you invest in technology, when companies invest in technology. You're basically getting a asset at a at a price that doesn't inflate as quickly as, say, salaries or oil or other things that are required to bring your product to market. And so, by investing in technology, you know companies like ServiceNow, um, you've got uh, Oracle, you've got the, the payment companies. All those investments that you make today are really hedges against the other inflation items that hit you and so rates do matter but i think the technology stocks get hammered much more than they should when rates go up and so if rates drop people are going to put more money back to work in technology and i think when the rates drop that's really more the the trader types that are trying to get leverage on technology and I think that's one of the reasons why you're seeing such a bump in technology now. But I, I really think it's, a, it, it's an inflation hedge when you invest in technology, which is why we focus mm-hmm. on it both in public companies and private companies.
1: I wanted to get into um, the investments that, that you guys are um, specifically interested in. Uh, Jay, let me start with you. I'm going to get back to Joe and the tech stocks in a moment. Are you focused more on the infrastructure,
7: more on the energy plays, more on the real estate stuff? Well, we think that all of those um, sectors are going to continue to do well. We've been super negative about tech stocks um, throughout the year so far, but um, really, if we're correct about inflation decelerating, that means a dollar weaken and tech stocks will do way better because they're getting hurt by foreign currency. But we'd still be a little bit defensive through the rest of this year. As I mentioned, we're concerned about um, Fed speak and potentially taking us into a recession. And all those companies are much lower multiples, have higher dividend yields, more defensive if we have another downdraft in the market. So we'd still be pretty defensive and go after dividend yields with preferred stocks, uh, REITs, um, MLPs we think are still fairly valued, increasing dividends. Joe, what do you think? Yeah, look, it's the,
8: the technology strategy is, is critical for us because we, we fundamentally believe that small and mid-sized companies are really going to get steamrolled if they can't get into the same level of service that big companies are doing and the only way you do that is with technology so to us what's going to happen in the next two to three months is interesting but what we're looking at is what companies do we get into now that will give us a long-term run over the next two to three years and so um that, to us, is, is technology because you have to bring the service level up. I mean, we've all done it where you've ordered items and you need to change. And if you don't get a, a return merchandise uh, component put together and have all that technology connected, you're, you're going to be hurt. And I think that companies like Zebra, which really ties you to the Internet of Things, you know, they're at uh, $255 right now, give or take change. I think their all-time high was 588 $588. So you're getting it at almost a 50% discount. Um, ServiceNow is down. UiPath is a great automation company. They're at $11. They came out at 80 You know, All of those types of companies have found a nice bottom here, and I think that now is the time to start buying into them, and that's what we've been doing for the last month or so. So you know, I, I think it's a great opportunity to really – start getting back into technology, especially as the dollar weakens to Jay's point. And, um, you know, the the, the rates are going to drop a little bit or at least stay steady. And that allows these companies to invest, both large companies and the small and medium ones, which really need to invest in technology. And you think about it, their their last major upgrade cycle was Y2K. And they've got to invest. And I think that's where they're going to do well. Microsoft will do well. Joe, in this, in this area
3: as well. When you see these headlines about massive layoffs uh, across the tech space, Meta, for example, Stripe, even, um, Twitter will put aside because it's a little bit of a different story. But when you see these tech layoffs, what camp are you in? Is this the big macro signal that I think a lot of people were waiting for when it comes to the labor market? Or is this a tech specific phenomenon where hiring was? kind of on the up and up for so long that this is just the natural reversal of it all?
8: Yeah, great question. You know, there was a race for talent. I mean, you've got uh, these young men and women that are coming out of these universities, and they're trying to decide, do they want to go into tech? Do they want to go into consulting? Or do they want to go into banking? And so I've got a couple children that have been out of school for a little while. And so I saw the race for talent, and... They just, these large technology companies were just hiring as fast as they could because they know they needed that talent. You also had crypto hiring or trying to hire a lot of talent. And so that's going to dampen the the race for talent a little bit. And I think now the technology companies believe that they have to pull their horns in. This is a great opportunity to do it, to, to call the bottom out a little bit and, and keep the best folks at at the top. And I think that uh, those layoffs are are basically a chance to regroup. And this is this is probably the best time to do it before they have to start figuring out where they go next.
1: Jay, I'd love to get your take on crypto. Um, In in a sense, there's kind of an infrastructure story here, right? I heard Squarey from American Express talk about the fact that he doesn't think they're gonna take over the payment rails. Um, When you look at the at the industry, um, what do you think first of all about you know the, the wild westness of it and then when you look at the asset class does it have any
7: value to you well we've been kind of super crypto bears we thought that the big run up in bitcoin was solely driven by the 65% increase in the money supply and so when it, crypto is at 40,000 we were predicting 20 but if you really look at it the bitcoin price before the big fed liquidity injection was 10,000 so that would really be our target. So we've been super negative about the asset class, partly because uh, Article One of the Constitution makes it clear you cannot create your own currency. So it's, it's flat out legal in the United States. So it really isn't a currency, it's a token. And what apparently has been happening is that it really was a house of cards where the exchanges were propping up their own tokens and also propping up other exchanges. So we would continue to be bears on it. And also just use it as a lesson that investors should always focus on cash flow, earnings, dividends, and be relatively conservative because in down markets, you're gonna lose plenty of money anyway without taking that kind of risk.
1: Joe, just got 30 seconds. What do you think?
8: No, I think the the blockchain is here to stay. I think that uh, crypto is interesting. to me i think for folks to have a little bit of it in their portfolio as a, as a high risk component is fine um you know we we own a little bit and i think that there's for example micro strategies to me is is a is a simple play to make they've got their stocks basically priced where it's been historically before they even got into crypto so if you buy micro strategy right now you're basically getting their crypto for free and their uh their web3 strategy for free so you know, To me, I think it's a smart play, mm. um, but I think that the whole technology side is, is where the opportunity lies, and right. it's all about automation.
1: Joe, thanks so much for joining us. Joe Meyer their CEO and founder at Meyer Capital. Jay Hatfield, CEO and founder at Infrastructure Capital Advisors. Great to have you in the studio
3: look we're, we're talking a lot about the crypto chaos today but i really think the story on the s in the s p 500 the stock market is really crucial because we had a 5.3 percent rally yesterday one that we hadn't seen since the depths of the pandemic back in 2020 as matt quotes our producer valerie Titel, the last time we saw that kind of rally two trillion dollars of stimulus was pumped into the american economy so to see that kind of reaction really begs the question is it sustainable is it real is that bear market carnage that we've seen the stock market finally over who better to ask oh
1: was ahead. it a short squeeze oh my gosh okay it was a short squeeze i don't
3: believe it was a short squeeze but we are going to ask someone who might just have the answer to that david katz president and cio of matrix asset advisors rescue us david because matt and i are having a major argument that started at 3am this morning it's it is true. going on for 8 hours about whether or not yesterday was a short squeeze or really had a fundamental driver behind it
9: we think it's a combination of both right now the market You has can't say off.
3: both it's a sophie's <laughs> choice man
9: sorry guys Uh, The market is so negative, and you had this 25% sell-off in aggregate for the S&P and 40% for a lot of technology companies. Everybody's thinking the market's going to go lower. So you finally had a bit of good news uh, with the CPI numbers, and you had a lot of people piling in. So you had people who were out of the market, fearful they'd miss the rally, that jumped in very quickly, and then that accelerated with that short squeeze. So a combination of the two things, we think very importantly – it 's impossible to predict the day to day trading, but if you look at a six to twelve month time horizon, we think there 's a very good likelihood stocks will be meaningfully higher. We wouldn 't chase rallies like yesterday, but when the next time the market sells off a few percent uh, we 'd be putting money to work. There are a lot of great businesses at great prices
1: i you know that 's a phrase that I picked up in your note: great businesses and equally great prices in a number of stocks that you don't just recommend you also own them for yourself amazon is one google is another microsoft um have valuations come down enough
9: uh we think they have you know surely in google's case this is a great growth company it's the premier search company of the world uh yet a week ago was selling at about 16 times next year's numbers that's a really good price Microsoft also dominant franchise at 22 times earnings. Amazon's a little bit more complicated since they don't earn money, but if you look at them a, on a price-to-sales or price-to-EBITDA basis, it's selling at its lows for the last 10 years. So we think Amazon is a uh, a good opportunity. We think the others are compelling uh, in terms of the stock prices on a valuation basis and as an opportunity.
3: I am fascinated, Matt, by the fact that so many tech bulls are coming out of the woodwork when for so long for 10 months we've literally heard that tech is just not worth the 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 bid anymore for for lack of a better term because of this kind of rate strategy and now you have yeah but because valuations
1: were so high now the the market had well had come down but
3: even with those valuations they were still the fastest growing companies on the s p 500 and no one was buying into them but i think uh, david to your point we only have about a minute left but i have to ask Does this mean if you are bullish on tech, are you bullish then by association on the entire market, on the entire benchmark?
9: Well, we are bullish on the, on the overall market. We think there are lots of opportunities. To your question, we were pretty uh, careful and cautious on technology going into the year, but after this sell off, we like it. But we think there are other places to make good money. We like uh, the financial group we think is very well positioned for the upcoming year. We think some medical product companies are in very good valuation territory. So there are lots of places uh, to put money that we think you'll be very profitable 12 months out.
1: Um. The chips to me is the most uh, interesting and hard to get my head around aspect of techs because um, it seems like we have way too many chips for PCs and still not nearly enough for cars. What do you like?
9: So Qualcomm, we think, is a great play in uh, the chip area. They, uh, The stock has done very poorly this year. Uh, they lowered guidance on their last earnings call, but they're still selling it 10 times uh, earnings based on this lowered guidance. They have a dominant franchise in phones, but interestingly, they're expanding that. They are going to be the dominant player in automobiles for communications, Very good growth forecast, and at 10, 11 times earnings, this is exactly the time to buy it. Visibility very low, long-term visibility very high.
1: David, always great to get you on. Um, Never enough time. David Katz, President and Chief Investment Officer over at Matrix Asset Advisors. Curdy and I are great friends Sometimes. and we have one of our best friends in the studio with us. Shanali Bassett covers Wall Street for Bloomberg News and she knows everybody in the crypto world as well. So with the implosion of FTX, Curdy and I thought who better to invite into the Interactive Broker studio than mm-hmm. Shanali herself. So FTX has now filed for bankruptcy. Sam Bankman fried has stepped down as CEO. Does this mean no rescue, no
4: bailout,
1: no white knight?
4: Correct, correct, correct. So I think what's interesting is, um, you know, we have the CEO of Circle online tweeting, asking, are there any other opaque, unregulated offshore entities we need to worry about here? Uh, The answer is probably yes, (laughs) like a lot of companies went offshore when it came to cryptocurrencies. When you look at the bankruptcy filing for Sam Bankman frieds entity, he stepped down as CEO. Uh, They bought in as a new CEO, the person who was brought in to help clean up the Enron scandal, and recoup funds for investors. And in this instance, when it comes to FTS, you have to ask yourself, it's 130 entities across the entire globe. What are the actual assets behind them that can be recouped for clients and for investors? A lot of investors are already marking down their stakes to nothing.
3: Well, what's fascinating to me here is that on these headlines, you had Bitcoin specifically, and we're going to use that as the poster child for for cryptocurrencies broadly, just for the sake of this conversation. But it did actually drop, I want to say, uh, below 17,000 at that point for the headlines. It kind of came back up, paired some of the losses there. You saw a similar fade on the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ, but those came back as well. This concept of this is the Lehman moment, but for crypto only is interesting because it kind of feels like the broader market has said there is no systemic risk, there is no contagion. But does that mean that there couldn't be down the
4: road as
3: close to as next year even?
4: Somebody, I know a CEO of a crypto company online was tweeting saying that we've been asking what's the contagion, what's the contagion and the argument he makes is this is the contagion. We have been seeing crypto companies fail all year long and it, now we're watching one of the biggest exchanges in the world face bankruptcy. And by the way, they have clients Block, and they have investments. Yeah. BlockFi is at halting withdrawals. People are just as worried about that. Anthony Scaramucci, 30% of his firm was recently recently sold to FTX Ventures, and he owns lots of FTX stock as well as, or his firm does, as well as half of his assets being in cryptocurrencies. So you think about just one by one, multiply that by all of FTX's clients that can't get their money back and what kind of cash crunch they're in because of it. Yeah. But then, you know, the, you think I, Mike Wilson and Morgan Stanley, the equity strategist, had made a good point this morning to Jonathan Farrow on television, which was that this is all a product of tighter financial conditions that idea is not a con- it is just a market reality that cryptocurrency firms are facing. By the way, Musk warned about a potential Twitter bankruptcy if they can't be more cash rich in some amount of time. Uh, and by the way, this idea that bankruptcies will come more and more, the restructuring advisors that I spoke to, Lazard was one of the biggest on the record just a couple of weeks ago. They said the velocity of restructuring conversations are starting to pick up, meaning you could very well see many more companies go bankrupt, crypto or not.
1: Um, is everybody mad at C Z? Is anyone mad at him? Because he effectively brought FTX yeah. down. Well,
4: well, wait a minute. So if, if you
1: have by the way, typically on Wall Street now <sighs> if you have a bunch of assets that you want to sell, right. you don't pre-announce that sale.
4: Right, right. right. Hurting therefore if, the
1: price that you would get.
4: Unless you're you Bank intend of to Chinale- cause damage. If I'm the asset. bank of Shunali, I don't go around running around saying the bank of Matt looks like it's got nothing behind it, right? Like that yeah. would cause a bank run. But what happened here, according to a lot of reporting, the journal broke this part yesterday that was incredible, that of $16 billion of consumer assets at FTX, more than half, $8 billion or so, were lent to Alameda, the trading firm run by Sam Begman-Fried. So there's a bigger issue here of what happened to customer funds were, the big question for regulators is and and authorities at this point who are investigating the situation were they misused and were they unclear about how customer funds were being used and where they went and that is an ftx issue and not a finance issue
10: it just
1: seems to me that cz could have gone to sbf and said dude it looks like there's something amazing. not pouring gasoline here. on the
4: fire, is what you're saying.
1: Before right. I sink your boat yeah. on Twitter, right. right? Why don't you take care of bees a little bit? You Could know. have happened. Well,
3: speaking of Twitter, we should bring in our other guest today. Ed Ludlow joins us from San Francisco. We gave a massive big introduction to Shanali. Uh, we should give one to Ed as well. He is our star West Coast correspondent. Ed.
10: And my former producer.
3: And Matt's former producer. And turns- my bestie. He's okay, right. so I do get it. <laughs> okay. um, Just because
10: my company's not imploding as much as yours, I get it. Debatable. <laughs> right. uh, uh, well, well,
3: yeah, debatable. <laughs> let's go to the Twitter story though, because uh, FTX is not the only one that is dealing with bankruptcy. Twitter is not uh, dealing with bankruptcy, to be super clear. Not but yet. there is speculation that uh, it, it might be on the brink well, of speculation
1: it. Speculation from the owner and the CEO. Okay. Well,
3: right. Ed, take it away. <laughs>
10: Yeah. So yesterday, Elon Musk held an all hands with the staff that are left. Remember, he laid off 50% of them uh, almost two weeks ago now. And he told the staff gathered on this virtual meeting that there's a sense of urgency here. Advertising revenue has dropped significantly, either because names that are upset or are cautious, have paused advertising. Musk said he didn't know what the run rate was. For the company was, which is worrying. But remember, he tweeted previously that they're burning $4 million a day, which is why they had to lay off all the staff. And then to wrap it up, he kind of floated the idea that bankruptcy is a real possibility for Twitter, which sort of two weeks into ownership at a time where you're trying to sell $13 billion of debt or $12.5 billion of debt to the street uh, is a strange messaging tactic.
1: So why? What's going on there?
10: I, I think that he's just trying to lay down the law. You know, you look at some of the other things that sources tell me he, he told staff, you know, that the days of Silicon Valley ethos and culture are over. He's taking away free food. He's taking away other perks. He's already canceled return, uh, remote working. And what was interesting, Wouldn't actually— Wouldn't
1: everyone who can quit, quit? I mean, who well, wants to yes, work
10: there? Yes. So yeah. we're hearing that people are resigning of their own volition, you know, even if they survived the layoffs. Um, he also told you know, the remaining staff that many of them will have to work 80 hours a week. Uh, you remember we only just reported that when he cancelled remote working, he said everyone has to be in an office forty hours a week. Now he's telling the staff eighty hours. And have you guys been on Twitter in the last twenty four hours? I haven't, but these it girls is,
1: live on Twitter. I think Chanel is on it right now. It is now. scary out there. It is
10: pretty scary out there. I mean, I'm interested for your use, feedback, but <laughs> everybody on there has a blue check now. I don't know what your guys' experience is, but everyone has a blue check. Yeah. And then this morning, what happens? twitter blue just disappears from the platform it's not clear what's going on you
4: could join me on discord ed
1: all right unfortunately Uh, we have to go but i'm just going to call you up over the weekend to to try and figure out what's going on ed please do ed ludlow joining us from san francisco shanali basic joining us from three desks over that's it for me and critty this is bloomberg Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to interviews at Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast platform you prefer. I'm Matt Miller. I'm on Twitter at MattMiller1973. And I'm Paul Sweeney. I'm on Twitter at P.T. Sweeney. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide at Bloomberg Radio.
0: The countdown has begun from May 14th to 16th.